is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. I, of course, am your host, David Dole, and coming up on today's show, Metrolinx is banning some employees from off-duty cannabis use, despite the fact that cannabis is legal. I'll open up the phones to get your thoughts on that in the next segment. Also, in the off chance that Jagmeet Singh can't win his by-election, should he step down as NDP leader? Some off-the-record insiders think he should. And later on in the show, should we decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms? Denver, Colorado, and the state of Oregon are considering it, and I'll tell you why it's a great idea. All that and much more coming up on The David Dole Show. But first, this week we were hit with the news of a leaked draft bill that appears to show the Doug Ford government is planning to open aspects of our healthcare system to privatization. Joining me by phone to discuss that plan and what this means for Ontarians is NDP MPP for Brampton Centre and NDP Deputy Leader Sarah Singh. Sarah, thank you for joining me. No problem, David. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, so this week your party uh, obtained and leaked uh, a draft bill from the PC government called the Health System Efficiency Act that would uh, essentially dismantle regional health agencies known as local health integration networks and create a super agency to oversee the health system. Now, there's a lot of a sort of complex language around this bill. I think people are having a hard time understanding uh, how exactly this may affect them. How would you explain to people what this potentially means for them? Well, I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, it is uh, confusing and, uh, you know, it, the consultations haven't been complete. And so they haven't really had input in, in terms of the decisions that are being made. Right. And I think mm-hmm. if they were involved, they would have an understanding of what this government is deciding to do. But I think for, you know, the general population, this bill really does signal to us that uh, this government is intending to privatize uh, aspects of our health care system uh, and, and potentially create a, a, a two tier system here in the province of Ontario. So um, were you uh, caught off guard by this or is this the kind of thing where, I mean, we've seen Doug Ford's uh, and his government's, their inclination towards private interests. Is this something you sort of expected to happen or did it catch you off guard? No, I think it caught everyone in Ontario off guard at this point because, you know, I think we were expecting that there were going to be consultations with frontline workers to understand again, you know, uh, the transformational change that is needed in our healthcare system. I think we all expected that there was going to be changes that would happen, but that they would be done in consultation again with communities and the public. And, and that hasn't happened. And so what is catching us off guard again, but not by surprise, because this is this is a pattern with this, this government, is to go ahead and, and just make decisions without, again, including the community. Um, and, and the timing of this, I think, is, is what's uh, really unfortunate. So uh, how would, I mean, this, it, it all seems so, it's, I mean, it's a little abstract, the, the, the language in this bill, but it does seem to indicate a, a step towards uh, opening it up to, to privatization. Is there any way that, that you see how this could potentially maybe improve healthcare in the province? Are there any aspects of this that, that you think is are, are good? No, absolutely not. I think, you know, when we look at our public health care system, Medicare system, this is something that we pride ourselves here on in the province of Ontario and frankly across Canada. But, you know, this this 
rationale to create again a, you know a two-tier system mm-hmm. means that those dollars are going into private corporations uh, we're essentially creating a climate that's going to allow you know for corporations to benefit and, and we're going to see sort of you know this plan seems more like a cash cow for those corporations rather than investments in our healthcare system moving forward and so I'm not sure if there if that's the right approach I think what we need to see is that those dollars those public dollars need to go back into a public health care system and mm-hmm. they need to stay there not not be siphoned off into the hands of those corporations. Yeah, and just on on that privatization note, I mean, we've seen uh, <laughs> we've seen the American healthcare system and how disastrous it is. And I mean, this uh, clearly this is not what what the American healthcare system is, but it is a step towards more privatization. And I mean, in the U.S., you have forty five thousand people a year die due to a lack of access to healthcare which doesn't even really exist here. Uh, you also have the the fact that uh, medical bankruptcies are the most common form of bankruptcy right. in the U.S. So this idea of even having a, a two-tiered system, I think what it would do is it would take the focus off of our public system where essentially the wealthiest people in this province would have the ability to pay for better health care. Is, is that a fear that, that you have? Absolutely, it's a fear that we have, um, and also when you do sort of privatize aspects of the healthcare system, um, and you know farm out services again, it's, it's private corporations that are providing those services, and this government is trying to build that as a, a more efficient and effective model. But in reality, what's going to happen is costs are going to skyrocket because again, it's going to be at the hands of corporations who are deciding what those look like, and so it is Ontarians that are going to be paying that price in the long run both in the quality of services that they're receiving, but also in their bottom lines. And I think that is, is really concerning. While it seems um, what they're billing to us in the short term to be a rational solution, in the long term, as we're discussing, David, it's going to have serious impacts on who can access health care and the type of services that they're able to access. Mm-hmm. And I, I've also been bothered by the, uh, the language around what the Ford government sort of pretends that they are doing. So to, to give you an example here, uh, the health minister, uh, Christine Elliott, on News Talk 1010, uh, sh- she was on News Talk 1010 this week to promote Bell Let's Talk, which is about raising awareness for uh, mental health. But, um, I mean, in that same vein, so this week, Premier Doug Ford said, we were able to get the federal government to match his government's promise of $1.9 billion over 10 years in funding for mental health, which is actually not true. So the federal right. government had already committed to that before Ford was elected. It was even in Patrick Brown's platform. So this right. is the kind of language we've seen from this Ford government where even uh, even on, you know, aspects of uh, policy where you could maybe give them some credit, there really is no credit there because they're simply taking credit for something that was already there. So, I mean, this whole... Uh, I, I guess my question here is what what would uh, an NDP government or what do you think should happen in terms of um, improving our health care? What would you like to see the Ford government do to actually improve our health care system here in Ontario? Well, I think, uh, you know, at this point, we recognize that across the board, uh, you know, from communities like mine and Brampton Centre, all the way down to, you know, uh, Windsor and up to Communities like Timmins, healthcare in our 
uh, provinces in crisis. And I, I think we should be looking at ways to invest in frontline care, make sure that we're also providing supports in communities uh, so people that don't end up in crisis in the first place. But what we're seeing actually from this government is a clawback on those investments. Uh, we're seeing them ho- move towards privatizing our, our public health care system. This is not the way that we're going to ensure a more effective delivery. Uh, and, and we're not going to ensure that, you know, rural and remote communities are getting access to health care. So we need to be investing because when we invest in health care, we're investing in communities and we're actually investing in the health of our communities economy when we mm-hmm. want to have that larger discussion, right? And so I think we need to not be looking at, uh, you know, cutting those services and privatizing them. I think we need to be looking at investing and creating more opportunities to ensure people get the supports that they need. But, you know, David, I I, I know you're well aware of this, but it also is about poverty reduction uh, strategies mm-hmm. being put in place that also have an impact, a positive impact on how people access health care, right? Um, you know, if people are not living in poverty, are not uh, struggling to make ends meet, they're less likely to be uh, facing many of the health outcomes or mental health outcomes that uh, those uh, vulnerable communities are facing. And so it's investments across the board that need to happen, not cuts to our services at this point. And that's something an NDP government uh, has committed to. It's ideas like dental care and pharmacare that we need here in our province to ensure that, again, people get the access to the right types of services that they need. And it's not just when they're in the hospital, it's when they leave. So it's a multifaceted approach that's needed. And that's not what we're seeing from this government at this point. And it's really, really concerning and frankly, disheartening. Yeah, it's a great point about investing into different areas and and understanding that when you um, invest into, say, poverty reduction, how that does positively impact healthcare and other areas as well. Um, And just on, on the privatization aspect of that, Matt, we've seen like, the 407 or hydro. I mean, when we privatized these various industries, we have regretted it every time. So Absolutely. This, yeah, so this idea that privatization is the answer, I mean, all we have to do is look at history. It, 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 it boggles my mind. That, it absolutely does. Yeah, I mean, that people the even started this mess with, you know, uh, Hydro One and, and the Conservatives with the 407. These are great examples of, you know, where we, we use them as, uh, you know, ways to say to the public that we're going to create more efficient services and it's going to be better service delivery. But at the end of the day, it's our taxpayers that have paid the cost for these very poor decisions that were made by the government. And this Conservative government is frankly taking us to an even worse situation, um, you know, and it, it is really, really concerning for us all. Exactly. So uh, before we go, I want to get your thoughts on what are some other policy moves that the Doug Ford government has has uh, done that have concerned you? Well, you know, uh, right now the uh, Minister of Education is in, uh, coming forward uh, and, and being very clear with us when, uh, with respect to what's about to happen to a uh, full-day kindergarten for, uh, you know, children in this province. So uh, I think across the board, uh, you know, this government is just jumping the gun without finishing consultations, putting forward ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I wish, again, you know, to your point, I wish I could credit them for some decisions that are being made. But at this point, uh, <laughs> there isn't much that I can give them credit for. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's the funny thing is there are so many different aspects we can go into, like whether it's so many. We the minimum wage cap. <laughs> yeah, minimum wage cap and trade, uh, sex education, cancellation of two paid sick days. I mean, go down the list. There's just Absolutely. disappointment after disappointment. But um, Sarah Singh is the uh, NDP MPP for Brampton Centre and the NDP Deputy Leader. Sarah, thanks again for joining me. No, thank you so much, David. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, have a wonderful night. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Coming up next, Metrolinks have instituted a new rule that bans some of its employees, like GoTrain operators, from using cannabis while off-duty. 
What are your thoughts on this? Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. The David Dole Show continues on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Now, before I get into this uh, Metrolink story, I just want to say that we are competing right now with the Super Bowl. So uh, if you are listening to the show and not watching the game, well, thank you. But uh, one more thing I, I want to mention on the Super Bowl, though, is so the, apparently the, the Auto Workers Union uh, Unifor is airing an ad calling a GM greedy and un-Canadian. And I, and I uh, just want to say that I fully support this, and I think it's awesome. But anyways, Metrolinx. So Metrolinx have instituted a new rule that bans some of its employees, like Go Train operators, from using cannabis while off-duty. So what are your thoughts on this? Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. We have uh, John from Toronto. Uh, John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't. I think it's great that uh, the go um, operators are being told you cannot do any types of any type of drugs while on or off duty because we don't want them getting comfortable and eventually smoking while on duty. It causes delayed reaction. It makes people get ignorant, stupid. Just like there are dry drunks, there are anger drunks, happy drunks, high, uh, but sad drunks and comedic drunks. We don't know what type of a uh, uh, weed smoker we're going to get. And we're not here to play, play Russian roulette with our lives. And end up having another smash up as we've seen throughout throughout the years. But okay, so you think people smoking uh, cannabis in uh, while off duty will somehow lead them to smoke while they're on duty? Of course, because it's a very addictive. That's why people but just is have that a what breaking away from it. Is that what happens with alcohol though? I, I mean, people get drunk off duty. They don't. They don't drink on duty. What we learned in physical education biology is that cigarettes, um, ganja. Um, sugar, coffee, caffeine, those are all drugs. And these people are going to cl- claim that they needed to get on by. Well, then when they claim that, we got to tell them we need people who can get on by without that because we don't need your delayed reaction to ha- cause another derailing or that dude that was caught by drugs in his system that um, crashed the bus many years ago on TTC or whether you're addicted to texting while driving. We don't need no more smash-ups. And as for GM, if you build a good product, then you won't be... Um, whatever just happening to them, kicked out or whatever. We need we need people who are good at what they do, that pride to what we do and do do it the right way. Okay, uh, John, thanks for calling. All right, um, I uh, I appreciate John's call. I do not know what he's talking about though. Uh, people use cannabis while they're not working. I mean, the the, the idea that using uh, smoking cannabis while you're off duty will somehow lead to you to smoke while you're on duty. I mean, then you should also apply that to everything else, right? So if you if you smoke cannabis uh, when you're at home, that means it'll lead you to smoking it when you're driving your car, or lead you to smoking it when you're doing something else important. I mean, it does it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the the same way that alcohol is not banned for these uh, employees while they are uh, off duty, or yeah, while they're off duty, it should be the same thing for cannabis. I mean, if you the the thing is, this is a, a legal. I mean, cannabis is legal now. 
do people realize this? So when you have a legal product, you should be allowed to legally use this product while you are off duty. Now, if once you are on the, the your uh, employer's time, then totally, of course, you should not be uh, engaging in any sort of um, substance that may affect your performance. But when you're when you have your own personal time, I mean, to have your employer control your entire life, I think is is crazy. So. Uh, just to give some more info on this, so Metrolinx updated its uh, fit-for-duty policy uh, to ban cannabis use by employees in, quote, safety-sensitive positions. The prohibition applies to those workers whether they are on or off-duty, Metrolinx CEO Phil Verster said in a statement. Now, um, the union is pushing back on this, and I'm glad they are. So the statement from the Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 1587, uh, says that, this Metrolink's action shows a profound lack of respect for the men and women who work for it and who devote their working lives to the safety of the public. So what are your thoughts on this? Should Metrolink's employees be able to engage in cannabis use while they are off duty? Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at uh, 71010. Now, Metrolink's also says that... Uh, Recognizing the safety-sensitive nature of Metrolinx's operations and workplace, the fit-for-duty policy establishes Metrolinx's requirements, expectations, and obligations in respect of employee fitness for duty. I mean, this is all just a bunch of crap. I mean, they're just throwing words together at this point and trying to make it sound like it's it's coherent policy. This makes no sense. I mean, this is this is a threat to our our civil liberties. If you are on your own time, why the hell? Should any employer of yours be able to dictate what you can and can't do when you are not on the employees or the employer's time? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, again, if you want to, if you think that off-duty cannabis use somehow leads to you smoking while you're on duty, well, then deal with those employees, test employees while they are uh, on the job, and ensure that they are not using any substances that, that affect their performance. But this idea that employers just have full control over over your life is, I mean, it's it's completely ridiculous. And for anyone to be able to, or for anyone to try and defend this, uh, I don't know. Um, though I'm totally open to your ideas. So if you if you support if you support this, if you support Metrolinks doing this, then give me a call at four one six eight seven two ten ten. We have Mike, Mike from Toronto. That is not Mike. Mike from Toronto. Oh, one second here. Uh, we lost Mike, but we'll get Mike back. Um, so, uh, again, so Metrolinx is trying to dictate what people do in their off time. They are trying to tell employees. I mean, to be fair to them, I guess, it's some employees. It's not all employees. But they're trying to tell some employees, the employees that are in uh, certain positions, such as uh, the ones that actually operate the, the trains, that they cannot use cannabis while they are off duty. Now, does this apply to other substances like alcohol? No. So it's sort of ridiculous. We got Mike back though. So Mike, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't understand how they can enforce that. What people do in their own home is their own business. They happen to drink, if you want to have a glass of wine at dinner, there's no way that you're gonna say that you're gonna drink on the job. Mm -hmm. so, there's no way to enforce that. We have, we have we're protected as today, charter rights, human rights. You can't, you can't, you know, dictate what people do in their own home. 
Yeah, exactly. And the uh, the union is is challenging this. So my hope is that they will be successful and uh, prove that this is uh, a uh, clearly a, a, an infringement on on our rights. But uh, thank you for the call. Yeah, thank you, Brian. So yeah, uh, I'm glad we <laughs> got one caller here at least that that's uh, agreeing with me. Because I just don't understand how anyone can possibly defend this. So uh, Chris Broez, uh, who is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 1587, said in a statement that it is extremely disappointing to watch Metrolink's focus on the private lives of members, saying uh, banning responsible marijuana use off-duty does nothing to improve safety. What will be next, a ban on off-duty alcohol use? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is just completely irrational. Uh the union points out as well that um, cannabis has been legal since October, and there have been zero incidents involving cannabis and safety among its members. Now, this is something you're also seeing from uh, a few uh, police forces as well have have also uh, put this policy in place where you can't use uh, cannabis while uh, off duty. Uh, again, I, I don't support this for any job. If something is legal, if you have the, the legal right to use a substance, then when you are not on your company time, then you should be allowed to use it. Now, look, if your employer wants to pay you 24-7, well, then <laughs> that's your choice. Maybe uh, if, if your employer is, is paying you for every hour of your life, sure, they own you and they can tell you uh, what you can and can't do. But if they are not paying you in your off-duty time, then it makes absolutely no sense. But again, if you have any thoughts on this, on uh, Metrolink's banning off-duty cannabis use, give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Uh, we do have a text here saying, uh, it is in Metrolinks and riders that have the right to demand the no smoking of cannabis. If you don't like it, change the job, period. Completely disagree. Again, employers do not own us. They, they, they don't have power over our rights. So this idea that, oh, just get a new job, it's kind of hard to get a good paying job now. So, <laughs> I mean, for people just to be like, oh, just leave the job, go somewhere else, it, it completely, it's completely irrational. Again, employers do not own us. Remember this. You have rights. When you are off duty, when you are not on your employer's time, you have full control within the rights of the law with what you are able to do. So again, if cannabis is legal as it is now, then you should be allowed to use while you are off duty. There was another uh, uh, text here saying, do you know how long pot stays in your system if you don't do your research? Um, having it stay in your system is not the same as having it affect you. So yes, if you uh, use cannabis, it stays in your system or it, it can be detectable in your system for I believe up to two weeks. That doesn't mean that you are high for two weeks. <laughs> so people need to understand. Cannabis has a very limited window of use. I've used cannabis. I know many people use cannabis. When you smoke cannabis, you are not high for the next two weeks. It, it lasts several hours and then it goes away. Again, there are ways to check your employees to ensure that they are uh, fit for duty while on the job, while not dictating what they do when they're off duty. So if this rule, if this policy doesn't apply to any other substance like alcohol, why the hell should, a, should it apply to uh, cannabis? Now, um, uh, ATU Canada President John Danino said the policy change was made without consulting the union 
and they'll be exploring the possibility of fighting the changes in court, which, again, I mean, this is a threat to civil liberties, and they should challenge it. We do have a uh, call from, I believe it's uh, Raul in Toronto. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? When your private habits, uh, I think, I don't know, it sounded pretty fancy a minute ago. When your private <laughs> habits of smoking your ganja on the weekends or whenever your so-called off-duty affect the lives of the public and re- that, that result in us dying. What, what's, uh, how does it affect you when you're, off, when you're on duty? If you're smoking off duty, if say you smoke, say you're unionized, I can already tell. If you're if you're smoking, I'm not unionized. Self centered. No. Well, if you're okay, and if you're self centered, and you're just about yourself, as Jerry calls it, as a unionized non-worker, and you choose to smoke, you're yes. also choosing to put the public's life. But if you're not high danger. on, if you're not high on duty. How are if you putting? If I'm not willing to live based upon your if, but that's also saying like, okay, right, if you're a, not drunk on duty, so you can't a, drink ever either. It, do you? A, do you think if you're if you have one of these jobs, you also shouldn't be allowed to drink? When you say if, that's a very light branch, and I'm not willing to have you put thousands of us on the train. No, but again, do you, do you apply this to alcohol as well? I'm just curious if you if you when, apply this we, across the board. Curiosity kill the cat. So when you kill us because you want, do you apply this guy? to alcohol? Well, wait, wait. Allow me. Do you apply to this to alcohol? Allow, allow me. To Do you apply this question. to alcohol? You ask me. Okay, you're not going to answer the question. You know Thank you for calling. Again, if you can't apply this to alcohol, why would you apply it to cannabis? All right, I think we've <laughs> talked enough about this. It's just I, I believe that was actually the same person that called the first time. But this idea that. An employer has full control over what you do in your personal life is absolutely ridiculous. Again, if you are high or drunk while on duty, there are ways to check that, to ensure that you are not. But to control your personal life is absolutely ridiculous. Coming up next, should NDP leader Jagmeet Singh step down in the off chance he doesn't win his by-election in Burnaby South? I want to get your thoughts on this as well. Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. You're listening to the David Dole Show, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Now, before I get to the uh, Jagmeet Singh story, we do have one more caller on the uh, Metrolinx story. So just to reiterate, Metrolinx is banning off-duty employees from using cannabis. So uh, we have a call from Christina. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Hi, David. I just think that the last caller is completely bonkers. I mean, not (laughs) equate. No, but seriously. I agree with you, actually. So go ahead. No, go ahead. Equate someone who is smoking cannabis off-duty with causing some catastrophic accident when they're on duty and they're not smoking. That's, I mean, you covered it before, saying you know, people who drink alcohol are not going to show up drunk to work, right? So mm-hmm. why would someone who smokes cannabis show up drunk uh, or show up high at work? And if we do allow for our employers to legislate what we can or cannot do in the privacy of our own homes when it is something that is legal, then that means that our employers can dictate how we live our lives entirely, which is ridiculous. Like, this is all about having freedoms and rights. Like, everyone is an adult. You know as an adult what you can and cannot do 
at home versus at work. Exactly. You know, I don't need my employer telling me this. Completely agree with you, Christina. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Have a great night. Thanks, you too. Yeah, so I I am so glad to have uh, another caller here uh, understand what's at stake. Again, employers cannot control you, cannot control your entire life. Look, if Metrolinx wants to pay these employees that they're banning from, for cannabis use, if they want to pay them uh, 24-7, okay, and these employers uh, or these employees agree to it, sure. But if they're not paying you, then why should they be able to control you? It's ridiculous. But let's move on to uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. So he has a, a by-election in Burnaby South uh, in B.C. where uh, he's expected to win. Um, he sort of has to. But uh, <laughs> that's kind of the, 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 the issue here. So nine NDP MPs across three different provinces have uh, claimed uh, or claim Singh will have no choice but to step down if he loses. So... It is sort of a, a unique situation here where you have a, a leader of a, a major party, a, of a federal party, where he's not actually in the House of Commons yet. So he doesn't have a seat. He, he's not an MP. He has to win this by-election. If he doesn't win this by-election, there's nothing dictating or there's nothing saying that he has to uh, win this to remain the leader. But there is apparently some internal pressure saying that, look, Jagmeet Singh, if, if you don't win this, this by-election and become an MP, then... You have to step down. So uh, what are your thoughts on this? Give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. So uh, speaking anonymously to CBC News, one NDP MP said, quote, we told him going in way back in June when this was being contemplated that if you do this, this is all in. It's not like you hope to win this thing. You have to. Your leadership rides on it. Now, one thing that did catch me off guard about this uh, – about this story is the fact that it's a story at all. I mean, the fact that there are actual NDP MPs, multiple NDP MPs, about, I think, nine of them, according to uh, the CBC, nine NDP MPs that ha have said off the record that, yeah, uh, we want to tell you, <laughs> we want you to report on this, saying that if Jagmeet Singh doesn't win this by-election, that he has to uh, step down. Now, in response to uh, questions about a potential loss, Jagmeet Singh said, quote, I'm not focused on myself, and I know if we work hard, we're going to win here. And uh, we're going to win in Burnaby South because the people need us. Now, that's uh, a nice way of avoiding the question <laughs> of what you will do in case, uh, in case you don't win this election. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of what he has to say, right? Because if, if there are actual internal pressures right now that, that are saying if you lose this, you have to step down— it's not something you want to say publicly. And uh, I mean, also, this whole story, this whole discussion could really be all about nothing as Jagmeet Singh right now is leading in the polls there. He is expected to win this by-election and, and finally have a seat in the House of Commons. But it's that thing where it's, you know, in the off chance you don't, in the off chance you don't win this by-election, it does look pretty bad. And, uh, but... At the same time, the idea that, that the NDP are going to have, uh, I mean, a leadership race in the same year uh, as the election, I, I just don't, I'm not sure if that's really uh, the desirable scenario here. I think even if Jagmeet Singh does lose, uh, does lose this by-election in Burnaby South, he could potentially run in another riding. So 
uh, it's one of these things where I don't really know how I feel about this. I'm sort of still figuring it out myself. So if if you want to convince me either way, give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Now, um, I should mention here, as a, as a courtesy, the Green Party isn't actually running a candidate in this race. So they cited the uh, leader's courtesy tradition of not running candidates against rival leaders, which apparently uh, the Liberals, <laughs> the Conservatives, and the People's Party of Canada all forgot about. So... They apparently are not abiding by this leader's courtesy tradition of not running a candidate against Jagmeet Singh. So there was, so <laughs> the liberals, uh, I'm not sure if you heard this story. The liberals did recently replace uh, their candidate there, Karen Wang. So Karen Wang was uh, this candidate that she urged Chinese people in her district to, or in her riding to vote for her because she's Chinese, while pointing out the fact that Jagmeet Singh is Indian. Now, she had to thankfully step down after that happened. Um, actually, so initially what happened is she decided to uh, step down herself. Um, and then she actually wanted to get back in. So she regretted stepping down because people were calling her racist. She tried to get back in. The Liberal Party was like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. So they did put somebody else in there now. But uh, I don't... <laughs> I really hope Jagmeet Singh wins this, and not just because I mean I, I support uh, more left-wing politics, more more progressive politics, but because it, he deserves a shot. I mean, right now the party isn't doing all that great in the polls, but if you look at uh, historically, the NDP has lagged behind in in many polls before elections that they ended up doing very well in. So there's a potential here that Jagmeet Singh, if he hits the right message is able to gain the support that the NDP needs to be able to grow. But I guess uh, another question here is, how exactly is Jagmeet Singh going to be able to differentiate himself from Trudeau and the Liberals? Now, historically, at least more recently, I mean, Mulcair was very moderate on on policy. Uh, I mean, in many ways, uh, at least in terms of how the media perceived it, they saw Justin Trudeau going to the NDP's left on, on issues, talking about uh, deficit spending and, and investing more into, um, into uh, public services. So there is, uh, there is the rhetorical reality, and then there is the actual policy reality. So Trudeau and the Liberal Party is not, I repeat, it's not a left-wing party whatsoever. They consistently bow to corporate pressure, to, to the pressure from, from the wealthy, and they are not... Uh, bringing in any real left-wing economic policy. So to give you a, a, an example here, they were expected to potentially or maybe adopt universal pharmacare. So it came out this week that they are not adopting that. Now, that does leave an opening here for Jagmeet Singh to grab that as a, as a major policy point and actually potentially run a, a real left-wing uh, campaign on some uh, bold progressive issues like universal pharmacare, but they have to get more bold in not just their, not just their policy, which of course is, is incredibly important, is the most important thing, but also in their rhetoric. So I had a guest on last week, Christo Avalis, who is a, a, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Toronto, and he discusses how we need to, or the left, the NDP needs to embrace class conflict. So class conflict is just the reality of this world that we live in, where 
there really is the the wealthy, the wealthiest people hoarding all the wealth at the detriment to the rest of us. Now, many conservative voters, unfortunately, don't see this or don't realize this, but this is happening before our eyes. So you need a party like the NDP and the Green Party to embrace this message of, look, we are not for the wealthy. We're not for massive corporations. We actually are going to speak to the people. Now, that will, of course, turn some people off, and that will absolutely turn the mainstream press off, because let's be honest, the, the mainstream press are, are in the same circles as the wealthiest people in Canada. But you have to embrace a message like that to show who you actually fight for. Because when you play this game of trying to be all things to everyone, you just turn people off, especially in, the, in a case like this where you already have the, the Trudeau liberals embracing that sort of centrist, moderate political message. So you need the NDP to differentiate themselves, and they can do that with bold progressive policy and a bold progressive message embracing um, class conflict. Ultimately, though, while I think Jagmeet Singh will win his uh, by-election in Burnaby South, I'm just curious to see what happens if he doesn't. Coming up next, should we decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms? Denver, Colorado and the state of Oregon are considering it, and I'll tell you why it's a great idea. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Now, uh, Denver, Colorado is preparing to vote on decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms, also known as psychedelic mushrooms or magic mushrooms. Now, it's currently a Schedule One narcotic, according to the uh, federal government in the U.S., but uh, it shouldn't be. And... I'm going to go through that, but uh, let me just read some reporting here from Denver 7 News. So uh, Kevin Matthews, the campaign manager for Decriminalized Denver, told reporters that shrooms have helped him break his own cycle of depression and sees the drug as a potential treatment for various pain and mental health related issues. He also argued that uh, decriminalization would help lower incarceration rates as it would keep people out of jail for nonviolent drug offenses. Now, this might all sound crazy to you if you are uneducated on the research into psilocybin mushrooms, but the proof is in the science. Now, before I get to the science, I do want to say I did not expect to take calls in the segment, but look, we've had some cool, or I shouldn't say cool, uh, interesting calls in this show. So uh, if you want, if you have some thoughts on this, give me a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. Now, researchers at a world-renowned Johns Hopkins University concluded that psilocybin mushrooms should be made legally available as medicine and that they have a low risk of harm and a high potential as a therapeutic drug. Now, this is part of the problem with blanketing everything under the same label as uh, illegal drugs. So, I mean, the idea that heroin and psilocybin mushrooms are both Schedule One drugs is absolutely ridiculous. Again, Psilocybin mushrooms, as I'm going to keep discussing here, has a number of benefits. There has been a ton of research into them showing us that it really, look, in my opinion, I think psychedelics are the future of medicine. Whether it's psilocybin mushrooms, whether it's LSD, whether it's ayahuasca, there are a number of psychedelic substances 
that through studies have proven to have huge benefits for people. Benefits with uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, and drug addiction. And actually, on drug addiction, um, ketamine uh, is is a huge uh, substance used for, to help with, uh, with drug addiction. Now, again, I don't think that these should necessarily be sold in stores, but I do think that they should be uh, just another tool in the arsenal of doctors. So say you go to a doctor and you are suffering from severe depression. Say so you, you suffer from depression for years, and there are, I mean, there are so many of you out there. I know there are people listening right now that are s- suffering from severe depression. Psilocybin mushrooms would be a huge benefit for you. So I advise you to look into the research and really start talking to other people about this because this is how we change the conversation. People need to be informed on the benefits that these substances have so that when, say, a political party does introduce the idea of, of maybe decriminalizing one of these uh, substances, that we already have a society that is ready to, to welcome that, that, uh, that policy. So uh, there's more data here, though. So again, we're talking about the fact that Denver, Colorado is preparing to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms, also known as psychedelic mushrooms or magic mushrooms. So uh, there's more data to back up the benefits of psilocybin mushrooms. So four preeminent uh, psychiatrists published in the Medical Journal of Neuropharmacology wrote that psilocybin should be placed in the most lenient category by the Drug Enforcement Administration and, again, made legally available through doctors. And a 2016 clinical trial published in the Journal of Psychopharmacology also concluded that psilocybin mushrooms should be made medically available and uh, that they worked specifically with people who received a terminal cancer diagnosis. So in these patients that had a a terminal cancer diagnosis, they found that a single high dose of psilocybin appeared to help pull them out of severe depression and anxiety. Now, there are a lot of people out there, I know because I've talked to them, (laughs) that have had bad experiences with with magic mushrooms or, or other psychedelics. And... The most important thing to remember here is you should not be using these drugs recreationally. So first of all, you shouldn't be using them. I mean, they're illegal, so you shouldn't be using them. But the fact that the people do use them, do not use them when you're partying or when you're drinking or when you're out in public. The the whole point of these sorts of substances is that they do have medicinal benefits. So it's incredibly important. This is why these 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 uh, psychedelics need to be decriminalized and put under the control of doctors because they should be administered by doctors. They are, again, are, the whole point of them is to improve your mental health. Now, we do actually have a call here. Uh, Mark, Mark, I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, good evening. How are you? <laughs> are, are you the same guy that called before? No, I'm not. Okay, uh, what are your thoughts? So, but, but I do want to connect two thoughts here. So let's say that the... We started off the, tonight talking about cannabis Yes. and how much listen please are supposed to use cannabis. How about if we were to connect that thought with uh, shrooms? So would metrolinsin please be able to use uh, a, a psychedelic drug? Yeah, while they're off duty. So what about the times when some of these psychedelic drugs have flashbacks? While you're... That, that doesn't happen. It's... It, it, for sure does. Are you educated on the research on this like I am? Please enlighten us. I don't know. When I was younger, I... What studies have you I, looked at? Please. When I was younger, I partook. I partook. I know exactly what it's like. Okay. That's your personal experience that you're not citing any study. Are 
Do you want to cite research on this? No, I, I, I don't know any, any research. All I know is personal experience. Okay, thanks, Mark, for the call. Um, again, look into the studies on this. So it's one thing to talk about your own personal experience, someone else's personal experience. I have cited three different studies here. Again, world-renowned Johns Hopkins University concluded that psilocybin mushrooms should be made legally available as medicine, low risk of harm, and a high potential as a therapeutic drug. And <laughs> the idea that using psilocybin mushrooms will somehow affect you on the job. Again, <laughs> if you've been listening to the whole show, you, you know what I've been dealing with here. Employers do not control your life. So a psilocybin experience, which again should be administered by a doctor, is a six-hour experience. When that experience is over, it's over. There, there's no flashbacks <laughs> while you're while you're operating machinery. There's, I mean, again, when you have a a a, a substance, a psychedelic substance, that is the pure form of that substance administered by a doctor. They know exactly how you should use that, when you should use that, and the sort of experience that you will have. But <laughs> this idea that this one caller who keeps calling back with different names appears to think that employers should be able to control you is ridiculous. You can follow me on Twitter at David Dole, last name spelled D-O-E-L, and visit me on YouTube at therationalnational.com. Thanks for listening to The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.